You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit JCastNetwork.org. Good morning, everybody. Um, so we uh, um, uh, really accomplished um, over the past year and change um, uh, uh, my uh, um, a, a goal of mine, which is to uh, use Sefer Achinuch um, as a jumping off point to talk about um, uh, what what is the point of Judaism? What's the point? What's the rationale behind uh, the the commandments in the Torah, with a focus on things that are not uh, um, uh, rationally obvious, uh, but are, are still uh, applicable today? Uh, delving into uh, some things that um, are not rationally obvious and are not applicable today, or, or kind of applicable today, um, and, and talking even about a couple of things that are both rationally obvious and applicable today. Um, and so, uh, over the course of a, of a year and a half, we uh, we've uh, looked at um, uh, most of the commandments in the Torah that have uh, fallen into uh, those categories. Um, so, I wanted to um, open up the conversation today to ask you, uh, from your perspective, from your point of view, um, what's the point of Judaism? You can answer that question, you know, any number of ways. You know, what's what's um, why be Jewish, I guess, is one way of answering it. Um, what's the reason behind uh, being an observant Jew? What's the point of being an observant Jew is another uh, uh, way of answering it. What do you get out of being Jewish or living a Jewish life? Um, however you define that, that's another way of looking at it. Uh, or you can be more theoretical. What's, what, what, are we, what are we hoping to accomplish by this uh, thing we call Judaism? Well, I, th- I think it's trying to give us a set of rules, and I think I am going to go as far as the word rules go, I was debating for a second, to conduct a an ethical life with consideration and concern for your fellow human beings as well as for yourself. It's not at the expense of yourself. Um, where I have personally some um, ambiguity is to accept was this really given by a God who said here's the way you're going to do it or is it some ethical um, set of rules that's been created by humans with some sort of divine inspiration melded in there I guess that's where I would kind of start. And I think it's it, it works well if you abide by these rules. I think that part of the question in my mind, too, is do you have to accept every one of them? Mm-hmm. And I'm ignoring the things like sacrifices, you know, mm-hmm. that we know, we know is outdated. But, and that's where sometimes it becomes troubling. I mean, we've talked about some of the ones in uh, some of the mitzvot in Sefer Hachinuch that don't necessarily make sense to me. Mm-hmm. There's rationale given to them. Some of them I don't buy. Mm-hmm. 
And so, that, therefore, is it 613 things that we have to do, or is it, you know, or not? Yeah. And I sort of leave that in the air rhetorically. Yeah. So, um, so okay, good. So, uh, um, uh, um, rules that outline the contours of an, of an ethical life and ethical obligations uh, that uh, um, involve responsibility to yourself and, and other people, but there are some challenges in, in there too. Great. Um, and, and, you know, just to add to that, I mean, you know, we spent a, a year, between a year and a year and a half uh, um, uh, talking about these things. Uh, there's 613 commandments in the Torah, but, you know, we do this once a week, so we've maybe covered 60 mitzvot. Um, and, uh, and, and that's the truth, is that, um, you know, we really don't have 613 commandments to, to live by. Um, we have, like, you know, maybe a hundred. Um, uh, and some of those are not, uh, uh, are only applicable at certain uh, particular times. You know, Brit Milah is only, only relevant at certain times. Um, you know, so, uh, um, uh, so you know, it, it seems like this overwhelming uh, uh, amount of things, but it's, it's actually a, a really um, a much smaller. Now, when you get into any of those individual laws, you have, you know, lots of subcategories, right? Sure. The one law of observing Shabbat has tons and tons of laws, right? That's true. But, um, um, but, but really, when you get down to it, you know, probably less than a, than a hundred meets vote. All right, other thoughts? That's great. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's, what has always attracted me the most is the community sense, the people sense. Um, I mean, I'm very proud that we have the land again today. That's important. Uh, I certainly get comfort myself in the, relig- the ri- ritual side, the religious side. But, you know, my own upbringing, living in a small town with virtually no Jews, and my parents making an effort to take us, and then actually moving when I was around 10 years old, so we could get a Jewish education. Uh, always, and to be with other Jews has always made that, it made such an impression on me then, and still continues to make an impression on me way many years later. Mm-hmm. Um, so, while, you know, I like the legal aspect, and I like to delve into these kind of issues and try and have understanding to me, it's it really the most important. Why be Jewish? It's about community for me. So I have questions about what both Lou and Steve said. So I'll start with what Lou said. Okay. Um, but they're related questions. A cross-examination. Uh, yeah, a cross-examination. <laughs> it is Jewish uh, law for the lawyers. Uh, yeah, apparently happy Jewish law day. Okay. Um, so, um, do you, why do you need... Judaism or Jewishness specifically to have community, right? Is there something unique about Jewish community that makes it um, uh, valuable in and of itself, or is community in general a good thing? Jewishness is one way of forming community, but it's not necessarily any better or worse than, you know, if I were to tomorrow, you know, join the Unitarian Church and have community there. Um, or have a have community well, and, of... And, and when, I, when I expressed it, I mentioned the aspect of God and land and people. I mean, I believe they're all important, and that is what makes Judaism unique. It really is not just a, quote, religion like the Unitarians are. It's this whole aspect of everything wrapped up, you know, for thousands of years. Um, so to me, Jew, Jewish community 
if you do it right, is unique and is important and really has value. Well, I think that's come about because over history we've suffered discrimination and kind of had to bring the type of community group, the community living that Lou referenced to keep ourselves together. If you're, to use your hypothetical rabbi, a Unitarian, you haven't had that discrimination, so that sense well, of community has That may, that has may a, not be true for the Unitarians. Well, I, 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 I only use that example because that was what Rabbi Knopf picked, but any other particular religious group that hasn't happened to you in quite the same way it ha- has happened to the Jews. And of course, we've been put in, well, shtetls in Europe, but their equivalents throughout history, so we've had to develop that community because we've been physically made a community, mm-hmm. whereas the other religion, I mean, I certainly agree with Lou's comment that Judaism is more than a religion, um, but I think those other religions haven't necessarily had that kind of community building history. They may have had it a ton, from time to time. We've had 2,000 or 3,000 years of it, and I think mm-hmm. that's how it's developed part of my answer. So the, the other question that I had about uh, what Steve was saying is, is in the same way. So, um, is... Actually, I have a handful of related questions. Okay, Goody. so... Uh, I'll, I'll where's, my them, lawyer? where's my lawyer? I'll lay them, I'll lay them all <laughs> out, but I want to I open them to, to, to other people to, to reflect on. Um, if, uh, if, if Judaism is primarily about... Um, um, Helping us cultivate um, a, a, an ethical life um, in which we have obligations to ourselves and to other people. Um, so, a few things. One is um, uh, why is Judaism unique, right? Why, why that particular ethical system opposed to any other uh, ethical system? Um, that's one question. Uh, the second is, what do you do with uh, all the commandments in Judaism that don't seem to have, a, um, at least on their surface, um, an, uh, a real ethical dimension, an ethical imperative, right? So Shabbat, I guess, is a, as one example, right? What do you do with Shabbat in, uh, when, when, if, you, if you're to say that, uh, that Judaism um, is primarily about uh, cultivating ethics? That's the second question. And the third is... Um, uh, um, which is related to the first question, might there be other systems? What do you do with people who, you know, Ramban's famous uh, statement, Nachmanides' famous statement, that you can be a Naval Birshuta Torah, you can be a, uh, a, a, a jerk with the Torah's permission, right? You could, you could scrupulously observe all of the Torah's commandments and still not be a very nice guy. Um, uh, so what do you do with that if, uh, if we say that, with any of those things, if we say that Judaism is primarily about uh, making us uh, better people? Well, I, th- I think that I-, I would not necessarily rule out that you couldn't have another eth- system of ethical rules that could be successful. I-, I-, I think that that's somewhat presumptuous and on our part that does to say this is the only system that works. It is a system that provides that guidance. You know, I I think from my own perspective, I think part of the um, power is that we're doing these ethical or good things, mitzvot, because they're the right thing to do, 
some of the issues I have with some of the other religions is that you are doing them to be rewarded after death. You know, Christianity being, I guess, the most obvious of those where you're going to go to heaven and it's this wonderful place and blah, 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 and even Islam where you, you know, if you're, especially if you're a martyr, you're doing it here because it's the right thing to do. I don't, I'm not going to suggest that the other systems don't say you should be doing these things, but to me there's, there's, a, reward, there's a reward out there somewhere. We're doing it because you should do it. And God put you here for the purpose of doing good things and living a good ethical life, not necessarily successful. As far as your comment from, was it my, no, it wasn't my mom. Who, not not, not yeah. monitors. Yeah, that's you certainly could do it. We we can all name examples, yes, but can. won't. But won't. Yeah. Um, I mean, we we are a system of laws. Our, you know, our <clears throat> the Torah is about law primarily, and how you live your life within those laws. Uh, you know, there's lots of different ways you can approach it. Yeah. So and that's that, pretty clear from what we've been studying from the last year and a half. But is that is that a statement about the effectiveness of the system, right? If the if the system doesn't produce by by, uh, we all have free will. That's yeah. individuals. Yeah, individual. You have to you have to make the right choices within that framework. Yeah. So, but so then so so then if, if we say what's the point of Judaism, um, then it's it's hard to say then that uh, that that the point is. That it produce that, that the point is to make yourself an ethical person because it doesn't necessarily do that. There's something else external to the system or internal to you that that that's what makes you an ethical person. Judaism doesn't really achieve that. Then. No, provide well provides guidance for so, and I think that I think I think what you have to do to to a certain extent is I focused on one area, Lou focused on another, and I think the uniqueness of Judaism is that it combines those. Too, and I think Lou kind of touched on it earlier that some the mothers that communal sense is not as deep as it is yeah. within Judaism. I, I, I know I just <coughs> read a book, um, <coughs> actually somewhat trashy, this "Stars of David" by hmm. um, Abigail. Yeah, uh, Pogrebin. I can never remember her first name. I know her mother's first name. Oh, okay. Um, is she a Philadelphia person? No, yeah. I don't think so. I think they're New Yorkers from. But she interviewed all these... I just got an email from her, actually. She just wrote an article about... uh, Abigail or Letty? Abigail. um, She wrote an article about... about God and and, uh, and, and how to how to conceive of God uh, for the late, for like you know the non theologian in a way that still might matter um, you know I thought it was an interesting anyway sorry but 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 she interviews all of these famous people and virtually none of them with a few exceptions does the ritual part that we've talked about but they all seem to have this sense of Judaism that's sort of been inculcated in them, and I, I can't really express it in words as, as well, because they go all over the lot, but they all know they're Jewish, feel a connection to other Jews, and, and we certainly see that with what I'm going to call, not hopefully not in a pejorative sense, cultural mm-hmm. Jews. 
The, the, the term these days is Jews of no religion. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm old, you know. I'm not up on the latest terminology. I apologize. <laughs> but, but that, you know, in that sense has come through the centuries, and I think one of the challenges for us is, while I certainly would like to see more observance, but how does that continue to survive and live on over the next few generations, your grandchildren? What happened? Let me pick up on that, even though that wasn't what I was originally thinking. I was at a Federation dinner, which happened to be held here years ago, where an outgoing president, who was certainly not terribly observant, used the phrase, I'm a Federation Jew, which I'm sure plenty of people have heard before. And it, that phrase has always, I've always had very mixed feelings about it. Because the observance side tends to be ignored or moved down on the priority list. And yet, that person is doing really good things uh, in terms of helping to feed the poor and educate people and everything, all the other, and helping the immigrant, everything else the Federation does by raising its money and supporting our community and supporting Jews around the world and in Israel. So it, it it's a very difficult Thing to answer. Why be Jewish? I mean, that there's all over the place answers to it, <laughs> and and they're all they all have some validity. Mm-hmm. Well, in Israel, you have a majority of secular Jews, not observant. That's right. I mean, so and, and the and, and what what Steve was mentioning, you know, reminded me. This is why I use the term Jews of no religion. It reminded me of the Pew report that that said I'm going to get these figures more or less right, but something like ninety percent of uh, of, of uh, Jews are are proud to be Jewish. Eighty five percent, give or take, say that that being Jewish is an important part of uh, their identity. Um, and 30% of uh, Jews, or, or more, between 30 and 40%, um, say that they're Jews of no religion. Right? So they, they identify as Jews by identity, but, uh, but, but not by you know, religious belief or religious practice. Right? And so we have that uh, uh, phenomenon in, in America, too, where a good portion, not a majority, but a good portion of Jews, m- many more proportionally when you get into the younger demographics, um, identify as Jews, but, but of no religion. To, to, but to me, there's one major difference. If you're living in Israel and you pick up a siddur, you can understand what you're reading. Yeah. You may not be participating, but you can understand what you're reading, and it, and it immediately has, a, you have a different take on it than here, where you may be able to speed through the words like most of us in the room can, but you may not understand what you're reading. <coughs> here you can instance. do it in English, but people don't do it in English. Yeah. Right, and the English may or may not capture what's in the Hebrew. Yeah. some instances right. it does, and others it there's a lot of poetic license. So look at the colleges today, the next generation is going to be completely uh, away from everything. Well, that's why I refer to Rabbi Knopf's grandchildren, yeah. you know, because that's, right. you know, that's out on the timeline. We'll, we'll see. You know, um, uh, things have a way of shifting back, but but um, <coughs> but I think that you're right. I mean, I think that what 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 uh, um, you know, there. I, I think that, that that both ends of what what Steve and Lou are talking about are really important. That uh, that that I think that uh, you're right, Steve. That there is a a, um, a a real thrust within the the tradition that what what is trying to achieve is um, is a sense of uh, ethical behavior and moral imperatives. Um, uh, ways of relating to the world, ways of relating to ourselves um, that, uh, that, that, that try to create a system for what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad. Um, 
but the problem with uh, the the problem is that um, without a sense of uh, of communal cohesion, without a sense of um, of of group identity and of being able to have um, vessels to pass on those values to the next generation, values in and of themselves are sort of wishy-washy. Um, so without some kind of vessel to, to do it, um, you, you, you know, you, you could have the, the quote-unquote Federation Jew in this generation who very much believes in the really great and important work that Federation does by virtue of them being Jewish. Their kids or grandkids will hopefully ascribe to those same values but won't necessarily see the, the, the benefit or the value in and of itself of doing it within a Jewish context, right? So we're having that phenomenon now. Federations are struggling in a lot of ways because lots of young Jews see the importance of even so much supporting Israel, they see the importance of. But go beyond that and say they see the importance of feeding the hungry, taking care of the sick, right? When we were young, the opportunities to serve on a lot of community boards were blocked. Yeah. Um, and those don't those aren't blocked you don't anymore, have those right? barriers you know they if, yeah. if you've got the money you're welcome right <laughs> and so so having both of these right, that's why uh, some of the um, uh, you know, Shabbat is uh, in, in a lot of ways I mean I think you can interpret Shabbat from an ethical dimension but there's a very large group identity uh, uh, dimension of Shabbat too um, uh, you know uh, the Achad uh, Am's famous statement that more than the Jews have kept Shabbat Shabbat has kept the right. Jews um, I, I think that there, I mean Achad Am said that because he didn't really have anything else to say about Shabbat but uh, but uh, but but in a lot of ways it's, there's a lot of truth to it right that uh, um, that 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 Shabbat you know uh, holds Jewish community is is really a glue for Jewish community um, it, so Kashrut is another one right is really a glue for Jewish community they're, they're you can you can spin kashrut in an ethical way, but the, here's the challenge of kashrut that we have in our time, which is um, that that kashrut can be done on an industrial scale, which brings with it all of the same ethical concerns that people have about non-kosher food. Um, so it's really hard to make an argument that kashrut is a more ethical system than any other system of uh, of uh, of eating, uh, keeping kosher. Yeah, kosher. Um, uh, uh, you know, so so you still have that problem, and that, and then you have the other issue. So, okay, can you be a jerk with the Torah's permission? Well, you know, yeah, you could be a real, uh, you could you could um, really butcher animals uh, um, and and torture animals uh, and still keep kosher, um, as we saw in Iowa. Yeah, right, as you see in Iowa. Um, so just uh, I, um, because it's Jewish Law Day, um, I, I, I feel like it's worth bringing uh, Rabbi uh, Elliot Dorf into uh, uh, into the conversation. I think he was a speaker at one year. I'm he sure over thirty um, years. <laughs> uh, uh, he is, um, uh, to my mind, at least in in the, I, I don't know if I could name a lot in the Orthodox world, but in the non-Orthodox world, for sure, uh, probably the preeminent scholar of Jewish law. Uh, him and maybe Joel Roth. Um, uh, but uh, so he uh, outlines in this great book. If you haven't taken a look at this book, it's 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 not just for rabbi geeks. It's uh, for for uh, um, I think anybody who has any uh, a passing interest in, in you should mention the name for the paper. Uh, the the book is called "For the Love of God and People." Now, is rabbi geeks a subset or it's a subset it, or, or is it a subset of ra- geeks or rabbis? Um, <laughs> it's subculture in either one. But uh, there are rabbis who are not geeks, and there are geeks who are not rabbis. Um, and the, there are some who fit into the Venn diagram. So, um, so he, he outlines um, a handful of, uh, of uh, 
of, of reasons for um, living according to Jewish law. Um, so I just want to just list them out very quickly, okay? Um, one is wisdom. Um, so that uh, that living according to Jewish law makes uh, these are these are motives that are actually suggested by the Bible itself. So Jewish law makes people more wise. Living according to Jewish law makes people more wise. Um, the second is moral knowledge and motivation. So it cultivates within us a sense of knowing right from wrong. Um, uh, covenantal promises, right? So there's a, so the, the, the reason is um, it's not that any anything has sort of a, uh, any given law has a rational dimension to it, but we do it because we have a promise to God that we would uh, that, that we that we would do it. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that all of the laws are are directly given to us by God, but it means that we have a sense of fidelity to God in uh, in observing the laws, and we think that the laws uh, are part of that promise. Um, this is a related one, a covenantal relationship of love with God. So observing the commandments expresses um, a, uh, a love for God. Gratitude. So we observe the commandments out of a sense of uh, being thankful to God. And I would add a different dimension to that, which is um, observing a lot of the commandments cultivates a sense of gratitude within us. And we've talked about that a lot over the course of our time together, that, um, that, that, that a great many of the commandments um, are about recognizing um, the great blessings that we have in our life. Um, number six, preserving God's reputation and ours, right? So, um, so that's actually a, a, a big one, and uh, one that unfortunately a lot of observant Jews don't really take to heart enough. Um, I, I was uh, uh, just the other day um, saw a news report about an Orthodox rabbi who was uh, um, uh, convicted of money laundering, um, right? And when things like that happen, it actually um, destroys God's reputation and the Jewish people's reputation because you have people that uh, that the purport to be living according to a, a, a godly way of living, right? And what they show to the world is that uh, um, either that God doesn't matter or that uh, God doesn't, uh, doesn't drive people to live a, a moral life, right? And so we uh, live in a certain way um, to <clears throat> preserve God's reputation, Kiddush Hashem, uh, knowing that by not living that way, we, we commit what's called Chilul Hashem, uh, um, desecrating God's reputation, um, and our own, and the Jewish people's reputation. You know, I, um, that, that's really true. I mean, there's a lot of places in the world where no one has ever really met a Jew before. The ADL just released a report which is a little bit suspect in terms of methodology. But what, one thing that they did note that I think is really um, important is that there's a great portion of the world's population that's never before met a Jew. So if you go to a place in the world that's never before met a Jew and you self-identify as a Jew in that, uh, in, in that population um, and act uh, in, in a not very nice way, um, that reflects not only badly on you but on the entire Jewish people. That was a hard thing to instill in my kids on USY on wheels. Whenever we go to, you know, Squeedunk, Iowa or wherever it is that no one had ever met a Jew before and we're walking around wearing kippot, um, uh, then, then it really matters, or, or how we treat the hotels that we stay in, right, and the people who work in the hotels that we stay in. Um, uh, how we behave really matters because it impacts how people see the Jewish people. Well, I think that's why many, if not all of us, certainly at this table probably, react every time there's one of these news stories and say, oh, no, you know, and I know you shouldn't generalize, you see a Jewish name, and I realize as we yeah. go on that's hard to identify, yeah, but 
but we see a Jew do something wrong, and we all sort of cringe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. By mm-hmm. the way, on the other side, that's <coughs> one of the beauties of which really is not a primary purpose, but when you watch the Paperclips movie yeah. and see all these people who at the time, but most of them had never really met a Jew, uh, and the Jews who show up in that movie right. really come across pretty positive. Um, yes, it's true, although my, my, the challenge that I have with, with Paperclips is um, what are we doing to be worthy of that kindness? Right. That's um, um, that. Um, so that may be another rationale, right, of, of being worthy of, uh, of 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 the kindness of people who love Jews for no good reason. Um, uh, so Rabbi Dorf adds a couple more uh, from the Bible, making our lives holy. Right. So we read a few weeks ago in the in the parsha Kedoshim Tiyu, you should be holy, and and so um, holiness is about uniqueness, about distinctness. Um, uh, so being like God. Um, uh, enforcement is one, which is uh, um, uh, kind of counter in a way, Steve, right. to what you're saying, that there's no, uh, that we don't do it for reward or punishment. The Torah actually does say that you do it for reward and oh, punishment in a number week. of places. Oh, yeah, but not, but not for after this life. Well, it, you know, it, so, so it, the Torah I mean, doesn't have a very explicit uh, um, afterlife provision, right. um, but the, 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 the rabbis very early on, Look at the Torah's, you know, uh, statements of, you know, uh, bad things will happen if you don't observe, good things will happen if you do, and and notice that uh, that doesn't seem to be true in this world, and so say, ah, it must be talking about the next world, right? Um, and so, uh, at least for the ra- the rabbis wouldn't recognize the Judaism that you're talking about in a lot of ways, because they do see very strongly that there is a uh, um, a, an otherworldly component of why you observe uh, uh, observe the commandments that uh, um, that that you you do them for for life in the world. Uh, to come, um, and that you it, don't do them, you know, by punishment in, uh, in in Gehenna. It's something that we've run away from in in some ways, and I think some some ways that make a lot of sense uh, from a rational point of view, because you don't know what's going to happen in the next world, but you do know what kind of world you can make here. And in some ways, irrationally, or maybe semi-rationally, because we wanted to distance ourselves from other traditions that were more otherworldly. And we had voices within our tradition that were more um, focused on this world, so we could do that. It, it, you know, I used to run with a guy, very active Episcop- in his Episcopalian church, for whom the next world was like the most important thing. And he really was interested in what the Jewish view was, and struggled that while it was there, that it was not the be-all and the end-all, yeah. when, when I would discuss it with him. And he was interested because both his parents had died young, and unfortunately he died young. Uh, so it was a very important thing to him. And while I agree with Steve, I, don't, I never think of it as a major item. For some people it is. Yeah. And even in Jews, for some it is. And I don't think we should, we should lose sight of that. All right, so... Uh, so when you talked about the curses, you know, from last week's Parsha, and they're really this-worldly. You know, you're not going to have rain on your fields and all that. Well, but it talks about multiple generations, too. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, the, it, it's, not a, it's not a stretch to be able, <coughs> yeah. if you're already going to be right. reading the Torah through a metaphorical lens, to be able to say, um, you know, that doesn't seem to be happening in this world because there's lots of people who don't observe the commandments and right. they seem to get off perfectly fine. Uh, people who do observe the commandments that seem to suffer. Um, so it must be talking about some future time. Right? Well, I, I know I remember when I heard Howard mention earlier Bernie Madoff, when he was sentenced to whatever it is, 150 some odd years in prison, I asked Rabbi Stein, well, should I want him to be able to serve his whole sentence? 
And part of my rationale was, um, well, we're supposed to wish a long life for everybody, right? Yeah. You know, so... I'll, I'll share one more thought. I mean, I gather that the life under the Romans was so horrible that Jews, you know, and as Christianity was branching away from Judaism, but everybody was thinking about a next life at that point because their current life right. was so bad, right? so horrible. Well, there's no Christianity with the Romans, really, because it's really late, because Christianity really is... Oh, no. They, well, Catholicism doesn't really start. No, like they threw them in the lion's den. Well, yeah. And they, they, initially, till they... Till they Chained the empire bought into Christianity. Well, part, I mean, part of the issue with Christianity, too, that they have to deal with and why it becomes so uh, um, heaven-centric is, is uh, um, you, you need an afterlife uh, for the second coming. Correct. You need resurrection. You need not, you know, uh, if, if Jesus isn't back and ruling the world now, then there's got um, to be something that we're not experiencing or not seeing yet. Um, so, so really built into the, the, the very core of the theology of Christianity um, is, uh, is, is an afterlife theology, um, which is not as essential to Jewish theology. Um, all right, so we're, we're, we, we have to uh, stop for now. Um, because we didn't get to it next week, we might as well continue. Uh, Rabbi Dorf then outlines, we just looked at the biblical rationales. We'll look at some of the rabbinic rationales uh, next week, uh, according to Rabbi Dorf. But for now, have a great week. Have a great day.